Well, I want to share a brief word with you from a familiar passage. Uh, we were there a couple weeks ago. It's in Philippians 2. So if you brought your Bibles or if you have your, your device, go ahead and, and turn to Philippians chapter 2. And as I was thinking about the meaning of Christmas, I, I just, I don't know what made me think of it. As some of you are, uh, may be familiar with uh, the song, What Christmas Means to Me. It's been covered many times. It's by Stevie Wonder. Uh, so you know it's theologically accurate. Um, a total joke for those who don't get jokes. Anyway, um, here's, here's how the song starts. I'm not going to put you through the pain of reading the whole thing. Oh, yeah, candles burning low. Now, remember, the, song, the title of the song is What Christmas Means to Me. Oh, yeah, candles burning low, lots of mistletoe, lots of snow and ice everywhere we go. Choirs singing carols right outside my door. All these things and more. Whoa! That's what Christmas means to me. Now, I know he's not setting out to write a theological treatise on, on Christmas. But really, I mean, it's what it means. What it means is he goes on to sing about angel hair in the tree and you know, hanging out with his sweetheart and things like that. Um, if, if we're not careful, that's what Christmas will mean to us. The only way to undo that, where Christmas really what it means is the excitement of presents and wrappings, the nostalgia you feel of the traditions you grew up with as, as you know, someone who celebrated Christmas and trees and lights, driving through the town and seeing you know, which house has the bigger lights and enjoying that or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we don't get to the doctrine of Christmas, we'll, we'll end up in the shallow place where we're just kind of Stevie Wonders, <laughs> just kind of excited about the things that get us excited. And really, if we were honest with ourselves, what it means to us is those sort of surfacey, exciting things that really have nothing to do with Christmas. What is Christmas? Christmas is about having the mind of Christ, says Paul in Philippians 2. And when he explains what it means to have the mind of Christ, he stretches your mind, he bowls your mind, you might say, with a doctrine that's really difficult to wrap our minds around, the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man. One of those verses we just sang, you might be like, I don't recognize that verse. I'm glad we put that there. I'm glad that's there. Because it's uh, solid Christian scriptural doctrine to claim that Jesus, born as a baby, what we're seeing there, what we're celebrating is Jesus, the Son of God, being fully God and fully man. So I want to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Won't be here really long, but I want this passage to be resonating in your hearts and minds as we enter into uh, our, whatever we do, our festivities this evening, our traditions in the morning. He says, if you look down in uh, verse 5, He's writing to the Philippians. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. We'll just pause there a second. He's, look, he's writing from a jail cell. He might be executed. And he's writing to a group of Christians that, although there's a lot to say about them that are really great, they're experiencing conflict. They're having difficulties. When you read this letter, he's like, hey, you two, get along. You know, work it out. 
um, and Epaphroditus is sick, and Timothy is that, and there's real people with real difficulties. Uh, and as he's writing this letter from his uh, jail cell, probably, he's writing to real Christians with real problems. So if we're like, oh, we're getting into doctrine, I just want to know something applicable, you can't apply unless you know. And so what he does is he puts this before them. Look, I know it's hard to live the Christian life. I know it's difficult to really live out the meaning of Christ's birth. But I want you to understand what Christ's birth means. And so he starts out with saying, I want you to understand that this is God we're talking about. Now, for, for, I might as well bring this up since it's Christmas and we talk about Santa Claus or Saint Nick. I don't know if, how true it is. <laughs> you may have seen the, the meme going around where instead of deck the halls, it says deck the heretic, and it's a, like a painting of the original Saint Nick. Well, the tradition has it at the, at, the, at the Council of Nicaea that Constantinople had. He said, you know, we've got to put down on paper what the consensus that Christians agree upon, the, the important things of the faith that Christians agree upon. And Arius showed up. Arius, if you've heard of Arianism, he believed that Jesus was created. He was born a man, and that's when he came into being. And so he wasn't fully God. And others in the council said, no, 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 he's fully God. He's fully God. And Aaron is like, no, 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 no. And St. Nick gets up, and he's like, he's fully God, man. And he's like, no, 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 he, he's not fully God. He was born, so therefore he must have been just a human. And then St. Nick goes over and lays him out, like, like he decks him, you know. Um, and so easy for us to kind of laugh about, but could you imagine... Could you possibly imagine uh, a church meeting with pastors, bishops, presbyters, whatever you want to call them, and they're sitting around, you know, they just finished lunch, and one of them says, I think this, no, you better take that back. No, and then getting up and walking across the church sanctuary and poof, get your doctrine right, you know. Uh, I don't know if we should walk around hitting each other, but I think we can at least recognize the value of what's being taught here that it's that important. He's God come to take on flesh. So we'll just some, define just a couple words here. Have this mind, what kind of mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, though he was in the form of God, he didn't, account, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. Now here's where people kind of go away. They go, it was the form of God, it wasn't actually God. And that's the opposite of what it means. The actual form of God, right, that no one else can claim. Um, you know, you, you think of, uh, the, the Greek word is morph, morphe. And some of you young adults, you know, you used to watch like uh, Power Rangers, the mighty Morphin Power Rangers, right? They morphed, they changed into something, a different form, didn't look like a different thing. They were a different thing. I never watched it, so I hope that's accurate. I don't know. Form doesn't mean an exterior shell. It means an actual thing, the, the qualities of what it is. And he's saying even though he, being in the form of God himself, he is divine, he didn't account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now here's another thing we need to understand. He doesn't mean a thing to be grasped like he doesn't have it and he's reaching up and trying to grasp it. That's not what he means. What he means is, clung to and don't let it go in a, to the exclusion of something else. Like imagine Jesus clinging to his divinity and not wanting to give any of his rights up to do anything else. 
That's what he means. Not reaching for something he doesn't have. It's the clinging to something he does have. So what does he have? Equality with God. Angels don't get that. People don't get that. We don't get that when we're saved. Equality with God is exclusive to Jesus and the Spirit of God. So he is fully God. And even though he's in the form of God, he's the morphe of God, he doesn't count equality with God, something he has. He doesn't count it as a thing to be clutched, gripped, and grasped so that he doesn't do anything else outside of just that. But what does he do? He empties himself by taking the form of a servant. He is the one to be served, and he empties himself such that he's the one to serve. People think what he's saying here is he emptied himself of his godness. He was God, and then he emptied himself of it, and he's not God anymore. He doesn't have those qualities. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is he didn't take equality with God as something to be gripped tightly to, In other words, all the things that make the attributes of godness, all of his rights, all of his privileges, all of his advantages to be served, he empties himself of that to serve. It's not about what makes him God or not God. It's about how he uses his advantages. He has every right to demand his rights. And he empties himself of his rights to serve those who don't have the same rights and privileges that he has. That's what he means when he says he didn't, account, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, I want you to remember, he started us off by saying, have this kind of mind. So he doesn't want you to just, he doesn't say, understand this doctrine. He's saying, understand this kind of mind, this kind of mentality that doesn't cling to rights. Now, each and every one of us here, we we think about rights a lot, especially growing up in this country. Or if you didn't grow up in this country and you've been here long enough, you get it. You have the right to a refund. You have a right to uh, this place in line. You've been standing here. Uh, You don't have the right to take somebody else's thing that they had first, that they had a claim to. We understand this as early as playing as kids in the sandbox. I was here first. I had that first. That was mine. Mom gave that to me. Didn't give that to you. Mine. But we don't really outgrow that. We just transfer from the sandbox to everything else in life. And here's the thing. It's not wrong. That is your toy. But what does the parent do? You're right. That is your toy. Well, maybe some parents. That is Tommy's toy. Cut it out, Bobby. You know. But oftentimes you'll hear parents like, hey, I know that's your toy, but share right? That's the message we need to hear. And he doesn't say just because it's nice to do. He's saying if Jesus did it, if God himself did it, that's the kind of mind we need to have because everything is his and he deserves all service unto himself. He shouldn't be serving ever. He shouldn't take his turn to serve. He should always just be served. And he emptied himself of those rights to serve. So how should we, how should we have that mind? Well, we should think correctly about our rights that sometimes it's true i did get here first that does belong to me and sometimes somebody is going to try to cut in line do something that contravenes your rights and paul's saying hey hey, give it up let other people go first that's what he said earlier he said put others interests before 
your own. Verse 3, think of others, count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's the kind of mind he wants you to have. And to have that mind, he doesn't want you to think of your favorite grandpa, your favorite sports player. He wants you to think of Jesus Christ himself. And to understand it, you need to understand that he's fully God. And then what did he do when he emptied himself, when he became a servant? He became fully man. He's always been and always will be fully God. He wasn't always man. He took that on himself. He says in verse, we'll pick it up in verse 6, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, exploited, taken advantage of, but emptied himself of those advantages by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Others throughout history have wanted to protect his godness and diminish his humanness. He was kind of like a human, but he wasn't actually a human. He appeared, looked kind of like a human, but if you actually knew what was behind that exterior, he actually wasn't a human. It was a facade. It was a front. It was like a mask. And that's not what Paul's saying here either. He says that he took the form of a servant in verse 7. That word is morphe. So as much as he was the morphe of God, he is now also the morphe of a human servant. Then he says that he was, uh, he took on the form of a human in verse 8. And being found in human form, that word is not morphe, that word is schema. That word means appearance to the senses, what you can smell, what you can see, what you can touch, what you can hear. But that doesn't mean it's only what you could hear. It was some false exterior. It means he was real, guys. He was real. We heard him. We ate with him. We laughed with him. We talked with him. We saw him sleeping. We woke him up. Hey, get up. We're drowning, right? You remember uh, John when he says, this is the one that we witnessed. We saw him, right? We saw him. We heard him. And we testify to, to not something that we just dreamt, but was physical with us. And so Paul's doing the same thing here. He was really man. This form of God took the form of man without giving up the form of God, only giving up the rights, the grasping of equality. So you have this fully God, fully man, servant, and that is the mind of Christmas. That is what we're supposed to remember and how we're supposed to behave. And it doesn't, it has to go beyond letting someone in. I mean, some of us, that's just where we need to start, you know. Uh, I can't believe this guy cut me off. I was standing here, I was standing here first. I know, that's really hard. That's really difficult. If that's the best we can apply this sermon, at least it's a starting point. <laughs> at least, don't be a jerk to somebody who, yes, you had the right, you were standing there first. Maybe just let people go sometimes. That, that's great. Other, others of us have marriages to heal, right? Rifts with loved ones, kids even. Those are big hurdles. And as we're thinking about how we can do the difficult things of putting others first, we can pick our favorites, we can pick the easy ones. But notice to the, the extent that Jesus did it. He could have just come and healed a few people and be an example for a couple years and then ascend. But he went all the way to his death. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Why did he have to go to death? Because the Father said so. That's why. And it wasn't easy, remember, Jesus asking the Father to 
Is there any other way? No, there's no other way. To the point of death, and not just a beheading, a lethal injection, right? A humiliating, painful death. Even death on a cross, Paul, Paul says. He took that unbelievable death, and it took this extreme humility to do it. And this mind, he wants the Philippians to have with each other. That's how you put other people first. And so what we'll do is we start developing that Christian mechanism of putting others first until it hurts. And it's like we draw the line. And he's saying, well, Jesus didn't draw the line really ever. All the way till it killed him, he served other people. So what I want you to think about is where do you draw the line? Right? Where do you say, okay, that's enough. You know, I'll, I'll let you have this, but I'm, we're not going there. And we fall back to our rights. I was curious, so I, uh, actually some of us were talking recently over dinner about how litigious our society is, more so than other places in the world. We sue over everything, right? We sue. Um, and you drive by and you see the billboards of the lawyer in a suit and he's like, hey, are you experiencing this? Call me, I'll hook you up. You know, I'll, I'll help you serve whatever uh, place. And it's actually become a, a running joke in, in our culture and in our society. According to a, a 2010 uh, survey, the U.S. has four times more lawsuits than Canada and Australia, three, more than three times Japan, two and a half times the lawsuits in France, more than one and a half times the lawsuits in the U.K. And here's one of the reasons I jotted down. One of the reasons is uh, direct marketing to clients. So in other words, there was a time where you would get hurt and you'd be like, oh man, somebody should pay for this and you'd go find the lawyer. Now the lawyer, you didn't even think of it and the lawyer's giving you the idea. Hey, does your neck hurt? I can find a way to make that somebody's fault. Oh, I wasn't even thinking it was somebody's fault, but that sounds good. I get something out of it if it's somebody else's fault. Well, let's go invent somebody else's fault so you can have your rights, right? This is the society we live in. This is our culture. Everything is somebody else's fault, and we don't put others' interests before our own. We put our interests before others, even if it chops somebody else down to get us a little something. It might be a nameless, faceless person, but it's putting others behind ourselves rather than putting ourselves behind them. The last thing I want to point out here, of course, Jesus doesn't stay low. Through that, he is exalted. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be a time where everyone will recognize the supreme worth and value of Jesus Christ, and even those who don't like it will at least say it. Every knee and every tongue. That's in the future. That kind of exaltation is still, we're still looking forward to that. But right now, here's the import. I'm talking about something impossible to do. I mean, it's, it's not possible. It's possible for us to be nice, to ramp up our niceness, but it's not really possible to put others before ourselves, even when it hurts, even when it costs you. 
unless God does something about it. Notice verse 12, just read 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, and as many of you have heard, any time you see a therefore, you need to check what is there for. He's coming from this thing that he just talked about, and because of that thing we just talked about, this is true. Because you have the mind of Christ, because Christ acts like this, he's done this, therefore, as you have always obeyed, there's the connection, Jesus obeyed like this, therefore this is how you should obey. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, that's heavy. That really ramps it up. But then verse 13 is the promise. Verse 12 is the impossible task. And then verse 13 is the promise. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, Not to put him on the spot, but when Gordon prayed uh, earlier this evening, he thanked God for bringing Jesus as an example, but not just as an example. So in other words, Jesus doing what he did isn't just a poster for us to look to. Right? You may have had a Michael Jordan poster on your wall growing up, but just looking at the poster and watching his videos doesn't make you Michael Jordan. You need something else besides just staring at an example. You need the power to be able to follow the example. And if you don't have the skills, you can't do it. doesn't matter how many Michael Jordan posters you have up. Right? And so what Paul is saying is, yes, he's our example. We look to him, and we have to have that mind. And right when we go, you know what? It's impossible. I really can't have that mind. He goes, right. What Jesus did also accomplishes something. Not just to put a poster on the wall for you to look at, but to put something in you so that you can do it. And that's why he said earlier that they already have this mind. In verse 5, have this mind, which is yours. Well, which one is it? Should I go get Should I have this mind or is it already mine? Yes. You have it, and you press for it. You learn it. You develop it, and you have it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Recognize this is is an important task. If you're really a Christian, you'll live like this. If you're really a Christian, this is how you will live. To the point of where it hurts to forgive the other person, to let things go sometimes, to put someone's interest first, to not be cutthroat, And the way we're able to do that is because God works the salvation in us. God does it. And we lean on him for it. So the response this Christmas is not to go, okay, God, I see see the model in Jesus Christ. Amazing. The form of God takes the form of man. That's crazy. That is crazy. And if that's not crazy to you, just hang out there for a minute and ask God to just stretch your mind with that and stretch your heart with that. But once you start grasping that, The response isn't, okay, now I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go be an amazing other people's first person because we can't unless God empowers us to do it. But he promises to do it, right? If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, your faith is in Christ, and you go, man, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve, I don't have any rights. I've relinquished every right of mine because of sin. And the only one who has not had his rights diminished, he diminishes it himself so that I can live as if I have rights? That's amazing. Well, that is amazing. And he does that so that we can be little Christ. That's what Christian means. Out in the world, displaying to other people the real meaning of Christmas instead of the cheap version of mistletoes and angel hair in the tree. 
Right? We want to display to them an otherworldly kind of behavior that blows the mind. Who in the world would ever do that? Well, I wouldn't if it weren't for Christ's work in my own life, and that's why I do that. I want to ask uh, uh, Aaron and, and Joyce to come forward, and what we're going to do now as a representation of the light of Christ piercing the darkness of our world and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, we'll be lighting candles. I'm trusting that you found one on your way in. And once we have the candles kind of lit, we'll turn off the lights and we'll close in a couple of songs and a scripture reading before I close us in.